How do you evaluate a private equity buyer? Like, when do you look at somebody, like, who do you choose to go into business with? That's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. especially there are, there's 50 of them. There's 50 of them that we know about. There's, you know, probably five more since we started this podcast. So, <laughs> I mean, but president company excluded. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, there's, there's the question that you've got to ask the private equity guys is, hey, what do you, what's your, what's your vision? Like, what are you guys going to do with this? because your employees matter, they have families, they have mortgages, there are people in your business, they helped you build this enterprise. I love my team, I, they, I treat them like they're my family. So if we ever sold, I care about what happens to them. So right. I want that to be a part of that conversation. Right. What are you gonna do with this machine? You know, are we gonna be consolidated? You know, or are we gonna be treated you know, differently? So staying on as an owner gives you the opportunity to do that. Uh, so you got to ask some real hard questions. And the second thing I would ask is, you know, when you're going to stay on, uh, how will capital be deployed from private equity to you? We know from our days at Service Experts that the owners that stayed on, that had a good business plan and had an earnout, um, they did exceptionally well on the earnout payments with our capital. Meaning that if I've got a hundred million dollars, I can give you some more marketing money. Right. Right, and you can organically grow that business. I, as a as a buyer, I want you to grow, Wally. Like I don't want you to stay static. It's not a good deal for me if you just stay at ten million dollars right. at a million dollars of EBIT. It's it, that's that's not going to get me back where I want to go. Right. If I'm an organic growth private equity company, I want to say, Wally, what do you need to do to grow? Yeah. You do you need to get into leasing? Do you need some money to put in there to be able to do a leasing platform? You know, can we figure out a different approach on your marketing? Can we can we do tuck-ins? Can we go buy some small companies in your zone, bring yeah. them in, add to your customer base? So I think you want, as an owner, to be asking some serious questions about what the strategy is, what the vision is, how they're going to treat your people, you know, what, what's the process going forward? And you know, um, the company that we sold in Phoenix, they were straight up with us. I, I was one of the first private equity company guys I liked in the sense that they came in and said, well, we intend to sell the company. Like, we've never done a deal. <coughs> where we didn't in three years flip the deal. And so do you want to keep money in and execute the flip? Yeah. And so it's something we talked about before sure. the podcast. If I buy your company for five million, just make believe, and you want to keep a million dollars of that money in as part of the deal, you're going to get the $4 million check, but then that million dollars sits there and it's part of the equity of the next flip. Right. So if we sell, if we package that up with another hundred million dollars and sell that to Center Oak Capital and they pay a multiple of 15, your one million is now 15 million. So you got 15 million on the second round right. as opposed to the and, five and million we, on the first round. And we talked about that with some of my former clients that made as much money, like they took maybe 80% of their uh, and put 20% back in right. and made as much money on that 20% on the next roll as they did on the first 80%. Exactly. So there are options. You just need to ask those questions. And you guys, I know, play these uh, gambling sites on your phones and whatnot. It's called what? Parlay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I'm going to talk transparently about kind of what we're, we're strategizing in my company because it might be useful for, you know, for some of the folks out there. And so we, we were talking about, so our business this year, uh, we'll earn somewhere between a million and a million and a half dollars, 
right? 60% of that's going to be Home Depot, right? So that kills the quality of our earnings. And we know we've got to work out of that, which we've got a plan to do that. And it just takes a few years to do it. But we've been working and talking with some other groups that I know to become part of their group where, you know, our 1 million might be part of $10 million right. of profit amongst this whole group. Now, my 600000 that's 60% of my revenue that kills my quality of earnings, now it's a very small percentage of that $10 million, which helps me out a lot. So sometimes if you're in that situation, you can look for partnerships and associations that can really enhance the value of your company just by being part of a larger organization. So you're, what you're saying, if I'm hearing what you're saying, by being a viewer of this podcast and being a member of EGIA, you're maybe a phone call away from finding some other players that are in right. EGIA right. who are thinking like you're thinking that you don't know, right? I mean, you knew these other guys that you're talking about, but like, because the, our viewers have this affiliation with EGIA and the 1,300 member companies that are part of EGIA at this point, right? We're at 1,300. You know, plus and growing fast, scaling, right? You, you might be a phone call away and say, hey, who else you know, do we know that maybe, like, maybe I'm in Pennsylvania, you're in Tennessee, you're, you're in Colorado Springs and somebody in California, you know, who do we know that might be talking about this? And like by yourself, maybe you're not viable, right? But as a collective group, right. there you go. I love that. Yeah, and that, that, that's what one of the options we're looking at, you know? Uh, are we better off maybe affiliating with this larger group yes. that, that are now our 600,000 in Home Depot profits are, they don't kill our valuation, right? So, and you even said as a, a private equity guy, when we talked about this offline earlier, you're like, yeah, now all of a sudden your 600 grand doesn't look so bad because it's only 600 grand of 10 million. I'm not worried about it anymore. Right. It, it, it becomes, it, we talk about becoming material. Is it a material impact? Or is it immaterial? Yeah. Not when it's minimized, it's immaterial right. to me. So if, if 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 the Home Depot program got hit by a bus and you lost that six hundred grand, yep. and you had the money to help me market to replace it, it's not going to be a lot. Not of, worry about it. It's not going to take as long to get it back. Can I can I talk about Please. two other things that are? And I've got viewers, one thing I want to our, close our viewers, out the topic. You know, we we have to get this out there. So um, I want also a company that has a brand in the marketplace, top of mind awareness, great brand something that we can leverage. Mm -hmm. So if I bring more money to you for marketing purposes, that leverage supports the You're better like brand. the sharks. The sharks always say what? I want something I can pour. My money is fuel. I want to pour my money. Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, I don't want to call myself a shark, but before they had Shark Tank, I was doing this in HVAC a right. long time ago. Well, you're, you're the OG shark. Then. I'm just saying, you want to pour, you want to, you want to pour yeah, your shark. money. You want, you want your money to be fuel. Correct. You don't want to have to come in and do it. You we're, want to put your money. That's what your money. We're all, we're all in the same canoe. We're all looking for the same thing. We want to scale and we want that to be a nice payday the next time. So the, that brand is important. So the development of a brand is key. And uh, the second thing is sticky customers. Yeah. Oh, I yes. want sticky customers. I want diversification. Define so sticky customers. Sticky customers are club agreement customers or customers that are repeat customers in your database. And, and that is repetitive, recurring earnings that we can look at. So Wally, even if you weren't necessarily transacting great with your existing customer base, the multiple is gonna be higher from a private equity point of view to pay you for that because you can show the evidence of club customer behavior where they were buying an accessory, they were on your club program. We can unlock the value of that. So that's worth a lot to the PE guy. 
Yeah. And so if you don't have a good a healthy club agreement program, sticky customers, we're going to look at the quality of earnings and we're not going to sit down with you and say, well, your quality of earnings sucks because your, your customers aren't sticky. It's just something that you need to know internally that the PE right. group is going to be is, looking is at. Is there a number, a dollar amount that you could put on uh, a club customer? Is, is there a number or is yeah. it just more of a... Of course, of course, lifetime value. We know the customer minimum is six fifty per year annual revenue at about a forty-five percent margin percentage that we can predict based on the number of club customers. That's not including the club agreement price. So if your club agreement's two hundred bucks, that's not even included in that. Right. And I've seen companies like Jackie Rainwater's company when yes. we bought him in in Atlanta way back when. Um, he had somewhere around twenty-four thousand club agreements. And and his uh, this we're, we're talking about in the '90s. He was generating about 850 per service agreement customer, and and that's a that's a big number. But he was one of the sharpest individuals that I came across in the trades. Learned a lot from Jackie Ron Smith, and those guys taught me how to unlock the value of those customers. Yeah. And we do that, you know, on marketing, and we do that with you know email campaigns. And so you were going to mention something so earlier. So you said six fifty a year. How many years? That's the minimum. Yeah, right. And so how many years is the average customer in the HVAC industry? Twenty years is typical. Yeah, you know, twenty. You're looking for a twenty year customer, right? And, and so I mean that you got to know that number. Um, so we've we and, and again as we close out the subject, uh, I think. You know, here's here's some things I want to throw. We've we've talked about the upside of this, the potential, and I, and there's a great book out there. I know you've talked about it. You've read it. Uh, Built to sell. What that means is build your company as if you were going to sell it, even though you have. Even if you're not. Even if you're not going to, right? For for a couple different reasons. We talked. We let. We we stepped out of the gate with this. It gives you options because let, let's say aliens with COVID show up, right? And all of a sudden, you know, there's a market for essential services companies. <laughs> Right? Maybe you got to do it. Maybe it's the right time to do. Maybe something happens in your life and you all, all of a sudden you have to do it, right? Because something happens with you know your family. You've got to relocate. and You got to just you know get out of the country. You got to move. Something happens, right? So you 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 have options when you're built to sell. But let's uh, the thing I want to ask is let's assume you know what is the downside of this? There's got to be some down. I mean, this is we've talked about the upside for a good portion of this this conversation. What is the downside of all this private equity money, right? I mean, let's assume you do sell it, because this is what happened to my father, right? My, my dad saw the upside, he got the payday. My dad also saw the earnout and the potential. We, and I had a five-year contract, as did my two brothers. I saw 18 months of it. My brother saw two years of it, my, my, my older brother. My younger brother saw three years of his five-year contract, right? So the downside was there were promises that were made that were not kept, right? And so that's one downside. But what is the other downside of what's going on in the market right now? And I'll throw that to you because you're living this. Yeah. So back to my uh, point earlier about being in business with the people in the private equity space that you would be comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you need to be comfortable with the, those folks um, because once they write the check, they're in charge. 100% in charge. <laughs> we always say he or she who has the gold makes the rules. It's a gold rule. It's an old cliche. Yeah. So we talked about this earlier. So document everything. The operating agreement yes. that comes to you is a critical part of any transaction. Because we can have all kinds of handshake conversations. There's no handshakes. <laughs> right. It doesn't work that way. So everything's down on a piece of paper. And it's the seller's responsibility to ask the buyer what the process is going to look like, what the operating agreement is going to be. How are we going to do things? Uh, what is my authority to spend money? You know, do I have authority to $5,000 or are you going to scrutinize each decision? So each private equity company will have a different operating agreement and they'll have different conditions. 
Um, we talked to several different companies before we sold our platform company. And the, at the end of the day, uh, one of the companies and it was based out of Memphis. We just didn't really like them very much. I mean, they're smart guys and they were money guys, but we just didn't get a good feel for, you know, were these folks we wanted to be in business with. Uh, and the opposite is true of the company that we transacted with. Um, they had a very good operating agreement. They're like, listen, we don't want to be in your space. We want you to grow the business. You guys know what you're doing. We don't. So we're going to pay you based on the performance. Uh, we don't care. Like if you want to market more, market more but you're getting paid on the earnings. So, you know, that, that's key number one. Uh, and I think to your point, what's the downside? Yeah, what's the downside? The downside is they screw it up. And there's been plenty of evidence that that can happen. Oh, yeah. That was the risk <coughs> conversation I had with you. Yeah. When you leave money in and it doesn't go well, that money can go away. It's, there's no guarantees that there's gonna be the next flip. So let's, let's make believe for a second that aliens do land and there's really nobody wants to buy heating and air conditioning. So there is no more private equity flips. There's no more consolidation. It's, it, it disintegrates because there's what we call a black swan event. The black swan event is the unknown, something that happens that crashes, you know, a marketplace, interest rates go up, monetary policy changes, whatever, who knows? We don't know what they are. Not many people saw the 2008 housing crisis. Not many people saw the dot-com bubble, the 87 stock market crash. I mean, those things happen. Independence so, Day with Will Smith. All of it, all of it, yeah. So when that kind of stuff happens, you've got to be prepared mentally and emotionally that that money could disappear. And so I will say the one thing that you can do oftentimes is buy the company back. There were plenty of companies, that that, happened, right? plenty of companies that service experts yep. that once they crashed and burned, the original operator passed the agreement of the non-compete was able to come back in, reacquire the business yep. and then sell it again. And that happened at, at Connective Demolver Power, who bought our family business, right? The commercial companies were able to buy their piece back because they remained separate. But the pieces that they rolled up, Cameron and Sons, was not available for resale. And that got resold to Amerigas. Uh, a company called UGI, who owns Amerigas, the, you know, the nation's largest uh, propane provider. That's who owns my company after the Delmarva Power Group, in three years after buying it, decided to flip it because they just couldn't run it. They drove it in the ground. So it wasn't able to be repurchased. Let me ask you this, Gary. This raises an interesting question uh, because the private equity people could screw it up because yes. they are in charge. Yes. And how much better is it for a contractor to look at a private equity group that knows the business, knows the industry, they're gonna be a lot less likely to screw it up. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a valid point and I think it's very worthwhile. Uh, you know, if you're gonna stick around and you're gonna be there and you want your employees to do well, I think you wanna vet the private equity firm to know sure. that they have and I think that's the point. Uh, leadership and competency and they have a good structure for, you know, to, to have if, if somebody sells their company to you, I'll use the, the wrench group as a great example. Up, very low. The rent, but the wrench group is a perfect example. I mean, they've bought large companies, <laughs> they've got great leadership, they've got tremendous assets. They know the industry. They know the industry, they've got people in the industry, they've kept the people in the business, like the people that have sold have stayed around. So the knowledge and the DNA transfer of how those companies grew from 20 million to 30 million to 50 million yeah. is in the business still. And yeah. so that helps, you know, if I'm a $10 million company and I get to hang out with $50 million right. operators, they get to coach me about what happened to, to how do I cross that bridge? What, right. were, the, what were the outcomes? No, and that's interesting because the, 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 the group that I'm talking about, they're industry guys like you. 
right? They're industry guys. So the likelihood that we can't figure it out. Now, if there's the black swan event, nobody can figure out anything because there's nothing to figure out. Right. And, and honestly, if we're being like, just like re real, like higher interest rates are probably coming. I mean, we had 7% inflation last year, mm -hmm. which means if, you know, your personal income was, was depleted by 7%, if you made a hundred grand the year before, and the hundred grand last year, now it's worth 93,000, that's just the reality. If you look back historically, and I'm thinking back to the late 70s, 80s, that we had to really jack up interest rates to slow this economy down. And I mean, you guys can remember, mm -hmm. uh, I, I can remember when I was a kid, like, you know, we, we were all probably kids back in, in, the, in the late 70s, early 80s, but it's like people were paying 12, 14, 15% for mortgages yes. on their home, Yep. Sure. right? So like those kind of things, unfortunately for us right now with inflation, like we could see some significant, I think the Fed's already talked about at least maybe three increases this year. And I think those are typically about a quarter point or something like that. Yeah. But, but what if they get crazy? And what if they say, we got to jack up because money's been so cheap for so long. What if they got a, what if all of a sudden we're paying, you know, 10% for a car loan or 12% for a mortgage? It's going to have a big impact on our business. So, you know, we, on top of the, on top of on top of the fact that, you know, like the price of used cars has gone up with 37%. It's insane. Yeah. Dude, I bought 50% on new vehicles. Yeah. Service vans are, you know, $45,000. They used to be 35,000. I bought a new Jeep Wrangler with the new 392 Hemi in it. The Jeep finally came out with this V8. I'm not kidding you, and I'm not proud of this. I paid 20,000 over MSRP because there were so few of them and I just had to have one. And it's like, pay it or not. Uh, I bought a new Denali last October. I still don't have it. I've made three payments on it. I don't have it yet. I mean, it's crazy in the dealership. I want to be in that business. You're paying me? <laughs> Listen, and, you don't, and I don't have to deal with the problem. I had a product. conversation with the dealership and they said, that we're willing to reimburse you for a percentage of those payments because you a know, percentage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what that percentage is. But there's the downside. So I asked about the downside. There's there the downside. <laughs> but the black swan event you're talking about, sure. which in our case could be crazy interest rates, and and and, and you know, were well, they going to go to ten percent? Probably not. But they're going to have to raise interest rates to slow this economy down. Sure. There's been too much free money pumped in our economy over the course of this COVID thing. I, I was watching I watching a news broadcast last night. I, can't, I was flipping through the channels as I always do just to get all sides, right? And I can't recall what channel said it, but they said, you know, they were talking about like where the economy is and they were talking about interest rates and unemployment and all this. And they said, you know, and they, they focused on the interest rate and they said, that should scare the hell out of you. <laughs> right. Right. And so, so I agree. Here's what's gonna happen. We gotta pay attention. Okay, so again, if after Super Bowl weekend, watch what happens. Just watch what happens. Housing market last year, new construction is tanking. Rental market is on the rise. Philadelphia, uh, the la Kim and I have been talking about it. The last several weeks, all their advertising in Philadelphia, all the stories are all about all the new permits to build all these rental properties. Yeah. The rental market is on the rise, right. right? And here's the thing, why? Because who's coming into market? Gen Z and millennials. Home is not a place, home is a concept. Right? Home is where I choose to be, where I can operate from for a period of time to have the life that I want that may ultimately, in a year or two, three years, may be somewhere else, right? And so that's, you know, that I think what's gonna happen to the, uh, the housing inventory market, which obviously went dry last year, okay? You're gonna see the 
market will be flooded with available housing because as people, and we talked about even some people in the industry, willing to pay $13,000 for a rental. <laughs> like not looking to build or buy a house, but looking to pay $13,000 for a rental property because it doesn't want to be tied. Wants to be able to every so often move around the country. All of the stuff that you've described that is potential you know, uh, consequence, uh, you know, whether it's a black swan event, policy, doesn't matter what it is, why I wanna buy a company and why I will still deploy that capital in the face of that risk is great brand, sticky customers, quality of earnings, <coughs> diversification, good management team, process driven, and the risk is low. I don't care well, if we go through a five year period where yeah. things aren't very attractive. If I own that asset at the end of year hey, six, the, the quality of that company will survive. Right. And, I will, and I will get back the risk Eventually. capital that I've deployed. Yeah. And that's why we don't pay high multiples for those types of risky yeah. behaviors. So all, all that means to the client community and contract university is follow the advice. And I'm happy, I know you're happy to do this. Somebody wants to send a note in, I, I will value your company for you. Mm -hmm. We value our companies every quarter. So we literally look at our financial statements and our valuations and we track that on a spreadsheet. We value it every single quarter uh, to have an understanding that we are following the blueprint that we want in order to track towards either a potential sale or transition, doesn't matter what it is. And then, so we're looking at the disciplines, we're looking at the money, but we're looking at the processes that make that money occur. I love that. I love, I love that you're saying it's not about just what we make as a company as far as, because that's what most contractors look at, right? Profitability, right? You're looking at not what are we making, but what are we worth? What are we worth? And yeah. I, will, I will leave us on this note. There you go. The really great kick-ass news is we're in a great freaking industry. Yes, sir. That has a history of surviving these types of events because you got to have heat and you got to have air. And more than ever now, people are paying attention to indoor air quality. You bet. So plumbing, if, electrical. Yeah, plumbing. I mean, yeah. We're, yeah, exactly. I mean, infrastructure of your home. So we're in a great spot, whatever, regardless of what happens. It may slow. Things can happen. But we're, we're essential businesses. And there that's why the private equity money is yeah. in, in this space. It's the one thing they saw on COVID. Yep. We are essential. I like yeah. being essential. I'm yeah. not used to being essential. <laughs> I'm like typically like non-essential. Now I'm essential because I'm in the HVAC industry. There you go. So guys, brilliant discussion. I could sit here and listen to you two talk about these events and the historical stuff and the potential future stuff. And I ain't afraid, right? Because we're in a great industry and we got to be ready for these potential problems, but we're in a great place. We're in a great place also, not only because we're a collective here, we're a collective with 13 other contractors, yeah. right? And so I want to just honor them. Absolutely. And, th and thank them for allowing well, and, us and to And I, I know all of us are very proud of EGA. We all came in and, you know, had our own, our own consulting and businesses and different things and kind of came together yeah. and, and put this stuff. And they've done a great job, frankly, with packaging our content and distributing our content and, and helping contractors and giving people a place to go. You know, not a bunch of hype. Yeah. We talked about that. Not a bunch of hype about we're the greatest, we're the best, you know, and you suck and we don't. None of that stuff. No. We're just all here trying to figure out. But like you say, we got 1,300 companies figuring it out. Yeah, let's, and let's get better together. We rise as one. Yeah. Our legacy is that we helped other people, you know, achieve some things that uh, maybe we contributed to. Yeah. That's the legacy. And that's what I want your legacy to be, right? Raise up those around you, right? I mean, you, you have contractors. You don't have competitors. You have colleagues, right? 
rising, a rising tide raises all boats. The guy who helped us establish this, who's right here in Colorado Springs, who's not here with us right now, he's running a business, Mike Robinson. I mean, that was his go-to yeah. line, right? A rising tide raises all boats. So raise up your colleagues. Yeah. Guys, cheers to you. Cheers. It's a privilege, it's an honor. Every conversation. Happy birthday. Thank Happy you. Birthday. Appreciate you. Appreciate you all.